Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kavi Kavusi, and I'll be discussing a diverse array of subjects that span from my experiences in the emergency room to the furthest reaches of the universe. I'll be hosting guests, inviting illuminating conversations that at times may challenge ways of thinking or being, while also nurturing curiosity, meaning, and awe into life. Please consider subscribing, liking, saving, or sharing this podcast with any of your friends or family if it feels right for you. Thank you for taking the time. Let's dive into the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. This is an interlude of a solo cast after having heard the first two podcasts from Tristan de Montebello and Nicholas Cannon. There is a constant battle that I feel within myself to just share regularly. If you were to look at my computer right now, I have so many notes that I've written, especially over the past four years. But over the past two and a half, I started writing these sections that were called miscellaneous and then the month was labeled. And it was just these compiling spaces of thoughts for me that I would share most often when I was driving in my car. Or when I was having intermittent thoughts come up, I would have a place that I could find restful opportunity for me to reflect on a bit later on. At least that's what I told myself. And the interesting thing is that when you start making a commitment to yourself to at least voice something that you are wanting to at least process, when you start demonstrating to yourself a commitment to either journal or speak about it to someone, maybe even a therapist or your partner, or to yourself uh, on a document, your inner world hears this permission to dialogue, knowing that there's going to be a commitment and discipline to put it somewhere, to express it somehow. And this reiterates this thought that your mind is wired to have thoughts, not hold on to thoughts. Conditioning taught you that. Conditionality of your truth, your curiosities, vulnerabilities, the unknowns, any clarifications, any insights, all of them developed a hesitancy from processing because it could not just organically be. And that's what a condition is. So they were put onto this conveyor, but they were refrained from truly being processed. But thoughts detangle themselves when they come through lips and through pencil tips. That's what Emerson Wallace says. And so through the lips would be talking it out. And through pencil tips would be, for example, journaling. And there's validity to this too. And anyone who does this regularly can see as a testament to the efficacy of how good it is and how effective it is to unburden and almost alleviate some psychic weight that the thoughts may carry when you speak it out or when you write it out. And I have personally found that when I started creating this section of miscellaneous then monthly, a space where I could just have a stream of consciousness and thoughts, almost akin to a thought dump space, writing whatever was on my mind, I found this progressive permission within myself to speak more intentfully and more completely and to have greater depth. Sometimes it made absolutely no sense, yet it completely did at the end. So it was initially tangential, but then circumferential, meaning it came back. Tangential is where you just go off on a tangent and then you just don't come back. But circumferentiality to that allows you to have a thought that goes so far out and then comes back in and it makes complete sense. If you were to think of it, think of like a Seinfeld episode where 
Larry David brilliantly would encompass this in a lot of his pieces, along with Jerry Seinfeld, that they would write and there would be five or six different subject matters that were going on simultaneously. And you almost don't see the interconnection. But then as the episode is nearly ending, you start seeing them get closer together and then boom, they all make sense at the end. And there's this beautiful harmony that happens when your thoughts which are expressions of the parts within you, feel that they can be in dialogue and in responsive connection with you as they share what they have to, logical or not. Because if there is, as a baseline, minimizing or the resolution of complete judgment for witnessing, hearing, and dialoguing with your inner world, or at least having your, that may not make sense to some people, but I hope through the process of this podcast, it starts to make more sense that when your inner world is expressing itself beyond just what we believe are our thoughts, parts of us, parts of our inner world speaking, when they know that they can trust you to be potentially seen, heard, acknowledged, understood, remembered, cared for, maybe gratitude expressed, most importantly, not forgotten, and they know that they're in unison with you, there is so much less charge that they eventually invoke in particular places where they may have been reactive because they felt that they were processed and spent time with. Now, journaling and talking out things are both effective modalities for doing this, but there's a caveat to almost everything that we do where we can either be doing things to for a a means to an end, or we can be doing things to do things. And so what I mean by that is if you're doing journaling to get rid of a feeling or get rid of a thought or to necessarily get some, some type of conditionality, I'm doing this for that. There's a different weight and permission that your inner world hears. Your inner world hears, I better tell him this or tell her that or else. And when someone is being forced to spill the beans or share that, there's less of a likelihood for their organic truth to come forward. So a process that I have found to be most effective to navigate, for example, expression of my thoughts, the stream of consciousness, the, the, the willingness to sit and put pen to paper or whatever it may be, is knowing that when I am writing, I am writing to write. I'm writing for the opportunity of connection. I'm writing for the opportunity of depth to emerge. And I'm writing for or or expressing myself for the opportunity for uh, this harmonious reconnection with an inner world and especially a part that maybe I didn't feel like I have access to. Very often the parts of us that lead most of our lives are in the most unavailable parts of our inner world, but still akin to being in darkness, light can be brought forth to those places of us when we start making time and attention and have an intention that our inner world feels really wants to connect. And so if you can imagine your inner world is a bunch of younger yous, stay with me for a moment and see if that even makes any sense. There is a bunch of inner you, different ages, different perceptions, all simultaneously along with you for the journey of your life. And they're currently with you right now. 
Some of them have been hurt in the past at particular times in their lives, and they had to develop protective mechanisms that you have come to know yourself through, because usually the protective mechanisms that we have are strongly reinforced. But they're strongly reinforced as a way to prevent us from feeling the pain that we once felt. Maybe it was abandonment. Maybe it was neglect. Maybe it was a sense of loneliness. Maybe it was just the incapacity of processing what was truly happening that could not be understood at the time, though the people or the circumstances or the experiences that you're around you did everything in their best ability to maintain the, the integrity of your experience at that time. But as our lives went from this pure innocence, um, almost a clean slate with some aspects that were already set forth with you, you had your faculties available And then in a moment, parts of your life got partially fragmented and hurt or challenged, or that was their perception at least, when they experienced something that was difficult for them, and so they adapted. And if you were to compound your life from when you were a child and you had to create a coping mechanism or a way to adapt to continue to live on to meet the conditions of the people, places, and experiences that you're experiencing your life in, If you were to fast forward and look, if there was a way to visualize all this, all of the individual accumulations of all of this, there is a massive psychic load that you carry every single moment of your life. And there's a high likelihood that a lot of your inner world remains deeply, profoundly unprocessed. And if you can imagine, if you were to look up for a moment and you look around at all the other people that are around you, When we are unprocessed, a lot of us is on the edge of potentially jumping forth with that protective mechanism that we had long ago. And we may suddenly act like a five-year-old because that's what that defense mechanism first arose and it maybe sharpened its skills at that time and maybe didn't have to show up anymore now that you're 35, for example. But it still comes up at times because it's saying, I'm not sure if this is ever going to happen again, but I definitely don't ever want to feel that pain again. And so you're carrying that in multiple different ways, especially deeply traumatic experiences. Then when you look up, all those other people around you too have very similar baggage, arguably, that they are carrying while they have the simultaneous responsibility, opportunity, but potential burden of not knowing that they can actually go back, go within and process some of that themselves and ultimately unburden some of that because the charge that exists in unprocessed inner world that does not feel connected and with you is a potentially reactive, disconnected human being that lives a conditional life experience and has a difficulty of having that invitation to be brought forth And the interesting thing is, because there is such a vast majority of human beings that live this way, there are a lot of individuals that they will find one another who continue to, well-intentioned, support the individual and potentially enable the perpetuation of that. Because I'll invite you into this world, provided you don't make me go into my very deep, uncomfortable stuff, provided you do the same thing for me. And that's the type of dependency that we almost create with one another as humans and it's 
challenging when we're walking among one another because our truths, our curiosities, our vulnerabilities, our unprocessed stuff continues to not be available to the world and our life experience. And we live these conditional, fragmented, partial dances, almost watch, walking on our own eggshells because we never gave permission for ourselves to reconnect with our inner world. And so if we want the world to change in any way, it starts with our own permission and curiosity to look within. And I'm sure, especially the people that are listening to this at this stage um, of the podcast, at least have had some strokes of curiosity as to what that even means. And I would venture to guess that a lot of individuals had a moment where they woke up almost off of the autopilot and became aware of the life experience that they had been living up until this point. And then there was a greater sense of awareness and inability to go back. It was the one-way ticket to opening your eyes and seeing without any way to go back, nor would you almost want to. There's times where ignorance was bliss, but now there is liberation and awareness. And there's a proximity to truth because... To show up to your life, it allows you to deepen the degree and capacity for you to be honest with yourself. And in being honest, you get closer to what you deem to be your truths. You can admit what you feel, the spaces, the the things that you hate, the things that you torment, the challenges, the urges, all of those have an opportunity to be brought forth in honesty and in truth. And what you come to realize is that Before, when you were not able to bring your truth forth of maybe a pain that a part of you was carrying for a very long time, it brought a deep sense of loneliness. And that loneliness is you unable to connect with that part of yourself. When you were able to see that inner part of you, that part of your world, and be in its true vulnerability in both sharing and receiving, unconditional witnessing, which is the witnessing without any conditions whatsoever. The person that you have the highest likelihood of ever exercising this is with yourself. And the practice of doing so with yourself first allows you the opportunity in processing and reapproximating to what your truth is, which you may have never even seen before. And truly, truly, you may think what your truth is, what that even means. You have a beautiful opportunity to discover what are your truths and what were your assumptions and your opinions or truths that belong to others that you are to take on to your own. But when you learn to tell the truth, you learn to acknowledge the truth and you also learn to make space for others' truths to be seen, heard, acknowledged, and understood. And your capacity to unconditionally witness others allows them to put their shell down, allows them to get close and curious about their own truth in a world that doesn't make truth safe. Have you ever thought for a moment how almost hilarious it is that we all ask the truth of one another, yet are very reluctant and willing to share it? And there's often punishment or ramifications if you share that with somebody, so much so that, if again, if you think even further, how many people have probably been killed as a result of bringing the truth forward and someone else was not ready to hear that? or someone else was not ready to experience that, and they felt their nature threatened. I can only imagine how many that actually is. And um, 
There's books like The 48 Laws of Power, I believe, by Robert Greene, which reiterates all these generals and masters and leaders of the world that when there was anyone that was having them even remotely bring their truth forward, they were mortified and they punished them so profoundly for bringing that truth forward. What a ridiculous concept that is so beautiful in its fragility. That's what's at stake. Literally a human being that believes that the truth being out there will infringe upon their identity or their mortality an existential risk for it to be out there so much so that they're willing to end the life of another or potentially even end the life of their own if their truth was to come out. That's someone who has not spent time with their truth but are protecting something that they're not aware of the treasure that's within. So some ways to get curious about doing this is, um, as I was mentioning before, the thought dump, for example. I'd invite everyone to, if you're listening, to create a section in your notes uh, or whatever tool you're using. Maybe it's Evernote. Maybe it's another one of these Google Notes, something like that. Create a miscellaneous folder or a folder, whatever you want to call it, of your own personal streams of consciousness. And let that take a deep breath in and feel into the permission that you're going to allow in that space to write whatever is on your mind, to speak whatever is on your mind. And please, in a safe way, if you're on the road, let yourself allow that space to maybe voice to text as I often do, a space where I just share everything that wants to come forth. And if there are any parts that want to actually connect, which often is the case, allow that dialogue to ensue as well. And in future podcasts, I will open up with what that looks like. But for now, allowing a space for you to permissively allow your thoughts to come through, for you to share what is on your mind, what is on your heart, what has been there for some time, can be an absolutely masterful experience. And I would include considering at the end of the month, or maybe even at the end of the week, whatever you feel, but at the end of the month, as I do, I come back and I go through the thoughts and see what I was feeling connected to. And also you'll acknowledge for a moment also what part may you be speaking and to what circumstance that came forth and also, if there's truth that's riddled within there, maybe that you'd forgotten, been distracted by, that you can connect with connect with even further. And what I do in particular is when I, there's a, a particular thought or an invitation or a reflection that really struck me, I will connect with it deeper. I'll write, I'll explore it further, I'll expand on it. And then I will um, put three stars next to it. And the three stars that I put next to it isn't an evaluation. It's just this is a particularly deep association that I'm feeling that feeling, not just thinking. That's an important caveat, but both of them are obviously permissible because you can literally do anything with this. But this is just an avenue of curiosity that I found works well. But when you put these three stars and then eventually if there were to be a miscellaneous depth of the year or something that comes up, who knows what you're going to do with this further? It may go for a social media post 
or a reflection that you deepen with your friends, or maybe it's a guide for you to have a, an important conversation with a loved one, a colleague, a relationship, a friendship, uh, a, 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 a boss, anyone. It allows you to have a space that you can come back to. And you can create keywords that mean something a little more, even beyond the stars. You can say important. And then when you search later on, you can come back to important. The other thing that I would like for you to consider doing is journaling. And of course, journaling is a concept that we hear very often, but there's there's a, a few layers of challenge to it. And here's what are a few things that come to mind first. One is the accessibility of having the paper and pen available to you at all times, or at the time where you have an idea that you say, oh, I'm going to reach for that. But what's required before that is either a habit or an intentional invitation that you actually take to go reach for it. Now, let's say you have all of those available to you. Having the avenue and uh, possibility and time that you make to truly connect with that is so important. And it's important because in so many of the streams and avenues that we connect to the world and connect to one another, we have five, ten digital tabs or different things that we're doing at once. Whereas with journaling, there's this invitation to slow down. And the only thing that makes it through is what comes through that pencil tip or pen or whatever uh, I, thing that you're using to write with. You can use it on your computer, but there's a tactile difference when you're writing slowly with your hands. You're feeling into the paper. You're hearing the the gentle lead that's running against the paper if you're using a particular type of journal uh, that's pencil and paper. Um, and I also feel that if you were to think about what your childhood was like, what types of pencils or pens you used, there is a childlike remembering that happens for permission for you to connect through the the mode of writing that you're choosing to to use. Now, when you're writing there, consider that when you're getting a blockage. You're not really getting blocked. There's probably an aspect of you that is judging in some way. So you're not journally blocked. You're just temporarily blocked because of some form of judgment or shame that you're putting upon yourself that's not giving permission for that part to express itself. And so if you hit one of those blocks, get curious about it and keep writing through. If it really invites you to slow down so much, you can say literally, I don't know what to say here. I don't know what that part of me is not letting me see. Then maybe you write down, is there a part that would like to bring something forth? Is there something that doesn't feel safe to write now? As ridiculous as that may sound to someone, even the toughest hardened man or woman has the capacity to reconnect to their softness and this gentle voice that connects from within when you do give the permission for that. Now, when you're writing, you're going to notice that there's a multitude of parts that want to speak and there's this layered voice of thoughts that simultaneously want to express themselves. When you show your inner world that you want to be connecting, that you want to be writing, that you want to be expressing in some way, if they know that if your inner world knows that you have the opportunity to connect with you, those parts have the opportunity to connect with you and they see that. It's almost like 10 of them come through the floodgates at once saying, see me, see me, see me. But what you can do as the 
conscious conductor of who speaks forth. Let the other parts of you know, the other thoughts know that you will get to them. And that's part of not putting a timer down necessarily to write. Write as long as it takes. And if you create the space for that, you're eliminating one of the levels of conditionality. Because their conditionality of 10 minutes tells someone, hey, you only have this long to, to truly communicate with me. But as you allow that space for as long as it takes to be written through, you'll see progressively over time greater permission that exists for a part of you and parts of you to communicate a depth of illogical or logical or hilarious or bizarre or difficult or uncomfortable or horrific or rage invoking or angry or frustrating or deep sadness that will come through. Anything has the permission to come through if you give the permission for it. And as you do this, feel into the honesty of the parts of you that are speaking. And notice that as you act and speak and write, you're approximating to your own truth to a greater degree. And as you do that, you offer that to the journaling experience that this isn't a moment for you to be journaling just to say you journaled. This is a conversation with yourself that you are establishing and it is available to you at any moment. It's this, this gentleman, this beautiful man by the name of Eric Godsey who has a uh, particular trust and confidence in journaling so much so that he's created avenues first for himself to journal with such great efficacy, but he worked his way towards it after he had his curiosity invoked by a podcast from Tim Ferriss. And when he was going through a difficult time, he chose to journal three pages a time uh, at a time until he f- completely filled out a book. And in seeing the transformative power of him to reorient himself to the truth that he didn't even know, at least he says, to the best of his ability with such clarity, he saw that and invited others through. And he actually has programs for journaling that invites that forth. And um, he is a, a powerful example, one of many, for avenues that you can deepen your connection to journaling, where you invite different type of psychological practices like internal family systems, which I have a particular affinity for and I will share in future um, podcasts. But you find incredible ways to liberate yourself to your life experience to a greater degree by having greater awareness and even potentially paying homage to years of burden and lack of clarity or unresolved parts of you that still felt like they needed to protect themselves in some way. And journaling is one of many effective avenues for doing that that doesn't involve anything else other than your time, attention, and intention. And so I'm going to leave this with the gift that you offer to the world is you being in better relationship with yourself. You reduce the suffering of your experience by reducing the suffering of your surroundings. And you do so with greater effectiveness when you know who you are and definitely who you aren't. And it's really important for you to, I believe, 
create a life experience that has you more pleasantly engaged and immersed with your own life experience, one that you can connect with and be in support of. And then in doing so, you have a greater capacity to support others uh, in some way as well too. And maybe if you can, you support them in finding their way into greater pleasantry in their life. Because something that definitely is not of benefit to us is the perpetuation of sufferance. Or if our sufferance spills onto others, some of it's unavoidable, others we maybe were aware and had a better opportunity to keep that contained within our space, knowing that that does not belong to others. And maybe in that deep grievance, we finally rage through spoken voice or written language, our own reclarification of the most important life experiences that exist within us and have never had the opportunity to be brought forth. And I trust that your commitment to this is a gift that you ultimately end up offering to the world, but first to yourself. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this. And if there's anything else that I can clarify on this podcast, or if there's anything that you would like for me to be inviting in, diving into, or divulging, I am open to this. I am in service and of service. And I'm grateful to be able to have these types of conversations and invite certain prescriptions, for example, in the ER, but in everyday life as well, too. I recognize that it can sometimes be an imposition of invitations to others when they maybe don't want it or it's unsolicited. And I'm learning my my ways through. And um, I appreciate your guidance. Take care. Consider leaving a review and rating the podcast. I'm not going to tell you what to rate. You do as you feel. And please, before this podcast ends and you go on to the next thing, Take three to five minutes in silence to allow some of the information that you heard to be contemplated, digested, and integrated. To the degree that every experience has a moment to actually have it be processed, it has a greater chance for it to be instilled into your life. I wish the rest of your day and week is beautiful. Take care, remain curious, and don't forget to play.